Yo, Big D back with a UFC 288 preview. Before I bring in my UFC friend, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. We're talking a little UFC today, so you know things things could get a, a little interesting. Also, check out the Big D podcast for the audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So... Back to talk UFC 288 this weekend. Whether he's talking Detroit Lions NFL Draft, Mason Millen Baseball, or Cejudo Sterling, there's one guy I go for, and that's Billy Ward, Action Network, and Fantasy Labs. Yeah, what's up, guys? Good to be here. You know, I cover these other sports. I enjoy these other sports, but... Mixed martial arts and combat sports truly has my heart. So this is this is the stuff I look forward to. This is what I get excited about. I enjoy the other things, but it's work to an extent. I would do this for free. I would talk to anyone who's willing to listen to me talk about the UFC for as long as they're willing to listen. So very glad to be here, Dylan. Yeah, and how about this? Seemingly after, what, 15 pay-per-view fights over the first third of the year, we have May is going to start off with... Uh, a contest for the 135-pound belt between uh, Sterling and Cejudo. So, uh, be honest, I I don't know what to expect from this fight because I feel like we're getting I feel like we're getting not necessarily the same fighter, but almost two similar fighters because I I almost think both these these guys should be in the WWE more than a UFC match. I hear where you're coming from, and in broad strokes, you're 100% right. that they both primarily grapplers. I would honestly say both have underrated striking. Not because they would look that good in a kickboxing match, but because everyone is so worried about their grappling threats that it opens up a lot. You know, I've been trying to reacquaint myself with Henry Cejudo, who we haven't seen fight in a little over three years. And he lands a lot of really interesting shots, but they all come off that little dip to set up a takedown. So, you know, anyone who's wrestled or done any kind of combat sports they call it changing levels where you kind of drop your body as if you're going to shoot to the legs. And he uses that wonderfully to set up flying knees and big kicks and all kinds of big actions. I don't know that he would be able to set those up against someone who's not worried about the takedown, which is an intriguing factor here, but you know, it, he does a really good job of mixing the martial arts. Obviously he's an Olympic gold medalist. That's his a skill. That's what he's best at, but he's not super one-dimensional. And same thing with Sterling. Sterling is a massive 135 pounder, which I think helps him here against Cejudo, who, you know, originally won the title at 125. Olympic gold medalist at like 122, I think the kilograms works out too. So I like that size and especially length advantage for Sterling. But what but you're right. What it's really going to come down to is who wins the grappling exchanges. There is no question Cejudo is the better pure wrestler. If they were wearing singlets and headgear, this would be Cejudo 100%. But they're not, right? This is a mixed martial arts fight. Cejudo's submissions aren't anything special. Like, he's competent there, but, you know, nothing crazy. And Sterling is just, you know, they call him the funk master. He's just so weird. He grapples in unexpected ways. The thing that I really want to see here is if they get into a grappling exchange and Cejudo gets a little uncomfortable and he wants to stand up, is he going to do what wrestlers always do, which is expose their backs to try to work up from a turtle? That's historically what wrestlers do when they want to get up. But that's really scary against Aljamain Sterling, whose best skill or, you know, best thing he does is he takes your back and he wears, you know, carries your, make you carry him around like a backpack. 
he's had a lot of success against guys with that traditional wrestling background doing that. But Cejudo is smart. You know, he always comes in with good game plans. Is he going to try to work more jujitsu style get ups where he walks his back along the fence or, you know, pushes the guy off him? I don't know. And then, of course, he's been out of the game for three years. Is there ring rust? He's 36. You know, these lighter weight classes, it's hard to age gracefully in them. So there's a lot of unknowns here. I'm leaning the Cejudo or the Sterling side for both DraftKings, you know, daily fantasy as well as betting. This one's really interesting. For the first time that I have ever seen, they are both priced at exactly 8100 Normally we see, even if it's I, money. I don't think I've ever seen that both both championship fighters of the exact same price. Right, and normally we see, even if a fight is a dead pick on minus 110 both ways, they pick one guy almost at random to make 8200 I really like that this time. Obviously, that $100 doesn't fundamentally change much. And the lines bounced around a little bit. I think Cejudo is a slight favorite on DraftKings, but it's, you know, different sports books might have Sterling minus 115 instead. Obviously, for cash games, we're going to jam both of them in, right? Like, this is a no-brainer. Lighter weight classes, lower odds of finishes. There's probably going to be a ton of takedowns on both sides. I think Sterling will get credited for takedowns on a couple of occasions where Cejudo pops right back up. And, you know, he doesn't really score a takedown, but by DraftKings standards, he does. And then, you know, a lot, lot of volume from striking. Jam them both in. But for GPPs, this is going to be a really interesting one. I'm leaning Sterling, but obviously want to have both guys. Yeah, the last time we saw Sterling was against TJ Dillashaw, which really wasn't much of a fight because Dillashaw's shoulder popped out literally right at the start. But obviously Sterling did what he needed to do in that fight. Yeah, it, it makes Sterling very hard to evaluate against championship level guys because he won the title with a disqualification in a fight. He was clearly losing next fight. He, you know, rematches Poder Jan wins it, but it was a split decision. It was pretty close. He deserved the win. I'm not saying, you know, he got lucky there, but it was one of those where he deserves the win because we judge things round by round. Where if you were evaluating the entire fight, you might say that Jan deserves it. And then his first title defense or his first real title defense is against TJ Dillashaw, who, was just there for a paycheck with one arm. So hard to evaluate Sterling at a high level, but I really like the skills I've seen from him. Also hard to evaluate a 36-year-old who hasn't fought since before the pandemic. So very tough one. Definitely not one I'm going to try to pick a side on for cash games. If you if you were going on from a betting side, who you mean, Moon? Because obviously, Sahoon, we know Olympic wrestler, but Sterling's a younger more used to fight in the UFC now. How do you see this fight going? Yeah, I'm leaning Sterling's way. I do a piece every week for the Action Network called the Luck Ratings, where I try to look at, you know, who's a little bit better, a little bit worse than their record suggests. To be honest, both these guys are have gotten a little bit lucky. You know, we got the split decision title defense against Jan, the DQ win against Jan for Sterling. Cejudo had a real, couple of real tight split decisions that both went his way in his run, where his losses were a bit more definitive. So it's, it's, it's hard from that standpoint. But the way I see it, this would be a really hard fight to handicap. If Cejudo hadn't taken three years off, we'd say, oh man, maybe that funky style from Sterling will get him. When you throw that in there, whatever percent chance you want to assign to it that he has a ton of ring rust and isn't quite himself, I think that's enough to make it betting on sterling of value especially if you're getting him as a slight underdog but anything up to around even money i'm going to take sterling based on the ring rust and age factor and and i will say 
being much, much bigger for the division, not just weight, but height and length. Yeah, because Sahuja's like 5'4", Stern's more like 5'8", so he's going to come into this fight as the much bigger 135-pounder. And he's talking about he wants to beat Cejudo, beat O'Malley, and then go up to 45. But I think if you put him next to, like, Volkanovski or Yair Rodriguez or any of those 145ers, from a size perspective, I don't think you'd go, oh, Sterling shouldn't be in there with those guys. I think he'd look every bit as big. Maybe not Volkanovski. Volkanovski's massive. He's just really short. But the rest of the top 45ers, Sterling's just as big as those guys. Where Cejudo is, you know, I think at his best 125er. Obviously harder to make weight at 36 than it was at 29 or whatever. You can attest to that because... Yeah, I I originally was a 155-pound fighter in my late teens. That went south, you know, made 170. Now I'm doing grappling tournaments at like 195, 200 and cutting weight for that, so... (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we don't have the co-main event where both of us were signed to see Della Rouge and Oliveira, but uh, we've got an intriguing and I would say critical co-main event, which could be for a potential welterweight title bout, whether it be later in this year or early next year. Yeah, I mean, don't get me started on the title implications. These guys are both clearly better than Colby Covington right now. Covington hasn't beat anyone in a long time, and he's coming off a year where he had to pretend to have a brain injury because of ongoing litigation. But be that as it may, hopefully these guys will, you know, get enough of a check that they can afford to wait for the next shot at it. Yeah. Gilbert Burns and Bilal Muhammad, two of my favorite welterweights Burns, former 155 who came up, looked great at 170 Most of the time though, he's only lost at 170 to Kamaru Usman. No shame in that. And it was a close fight. And Hamzat Chemaev in a fight that a lot of people probably scored his way, despite being much smaller. Maybe the most, not quite, one of the most decorated jiu-jitsu athletes in UFC right now, multiple-time world champion, but also has really good striking, incredible cardio. He always comes in in just peak condition. And that's going to serve him well here because these guys took this fight on like three-week notice. Burns was just coming off his uh, win against Masvidal. And despite the short notice, they're making it a rare co-main event, not for a title, still five rounds. Really love that for Burns, just given his condition. But I like Bilal Muhammad a lot, too. You know, we had this kind of narrative about him. He's a boring wrestler. He's just going to shove you against the fence, slow things down. And he fought a guy with high-level submission skills and Sean Brady and starched him, just absolutely put his lights out. So Bilal Muhammad is a really scary guy with that dimension in his game. So I don't know too many welterweights that can take him down. You know, maybe Hamzad if it comes to that or if they ever get to fight. But I don't really see Burns being able to initiate much offensive grappling here. So if Muhammad wants it to be a grappling match, it, you know, he has that option. Burns, I think, kind of has to accept that he needs to beat him on his feet. Not to say he can't. I think he's the better technical striker, but that power from Muhammad was very impressive in his last fight. And again, this fight is the 8,800 fight since it's got such close betting odds, which is probably why DraftKings did the 8,100 on both guys in the main event. But I think for unless you have a very strong opinion on one of these, I think for cash games, playing all four of these guys is probably the way to go. Yeah. Do you worry for, especially for Burns, that this is the third time he's fighting this year because he fought in January, then beat Mavidal in Miami. So do you worry, especially with this being a five-round fight, that Burns, I mean, yeah, we know Gilbert Burns is, 
Call you a second there, no one. But do you worry about the Bones having the ability to bounce back three times in 12, 15 weeks? I, I don't, but there's a big caveat to this. We don't know what these guys are like when they don't think they have a fight coming up. Some guys stay in the gym, you know, six days a week, stay pretty close to peak condition, always ready to fight. Some guys are like, hey, I need a break. I need to rest and recover. I am pretty sure that Burns is in that former camp. You know, he's just got to, I just want to fight. I want to make my money. I want to always be in contention. You know, I want to be top of mind if something happens to Colby so I can get a title fight, that kind of thing. So I think it actually benefits him because you don't have to get ready if you've been ready this whole time. With that said, you know, if you take a lot of damage in one of those fights, taking the time off is probably better. But he didn't really against Neil Magny or Jorge Masvidal. Kind of cruised to victory in both of those fights. So that's a tough one. It's one of those. It's kind of like when a fighter misses weight where you're like, mm, did he miss weight because he just didn't try that hard and it's going to be fresher? Or is it because he's out of shape? We don't really know. But I'm leaning towards this actually benefiting Burns, especially because it's a five-round fight. And we're I'm getting a little uh, deep on this one, so feel free to ignore the next like five sentences. But Bilal Muhammad just had a month of Ramadan where he couldn't eat normally, couldn't drink water during the day. That's got to make this weight cut tough. It's got to put him in a little bit worse condition. I should say, although it probably doesn't need to be said, that Bilal Muhammad is Muslim. <laughs> for, for anyone who was wondering why I brought up Ramadan, that could be a factor. I mean, we don't know what his training was like during that month, how much he was getting after it, whether his recovery was messed up because he couldn't eat or drink during the day. All of that just gives me a little bit of a lean towards Gilbert Burns. And even if we didn't have any of those factors, I'd probably be slightly on his side anyway, but not confident enough to pick a side in cash games. Certainly. I'm just going to play both of them. They're both cheap for GPPs and, you know, betting wise, that's where my lean on Burns comes in. Yeah, I'm looking at the numbers right now, and Burns is a slight favorite, a little more than the Sterling Cejudo fight, but it's but it's not really that much. I mean, most Muhammad is, I think, plus 110, and Gilbert Burns is much as 138 on fan, 140 on a couple of sides I'm seeing. But I, I think playing both guys, especially when, and this kind of a fight where you get that extra couple rounds, I, I think it's probably a good strategy. It's almost like we have the double title fights again. Right? I mean, we effectively do, right? It's five rounds, so there's no... I guess my only concern with that strategy here is these aren't guys who score a lot of like points per minute. They're both kind of dependent on the win bonus and stoppages to put up a big score. So don't go into this one thinking you're going to get 150 combined points, 180 combined points, anything crazy like that. It's not because I think the two of them are going to score a lot of points. It's because I'm not confident enough in one side or the other to risk not having the winner in my lineup. It does mean if we're playing all four of these guys, you kind of got to pick two winners with your other two spots in cash games. But given the salary you save on those four, should be able to do that. I think I think both of the if you play all four fighters, that leaves you thirty two thousand four hundred, which usually for a pay-per-view card would be would be a little maybe more iffy, but they're on a lot of expensive fighters. I think there's one ninety four dollar fighter, one ninety one hundred dollar fighter. True. I, I will say I would really love to find a way to play uh Mazvar Evoev just because he was supposed to fight Bryce Mitchell. He was the same salary. Now he's fighting Diego Lopez who's 
not only nowhere near as good as Bryce Mitchell, but also taking it on, you know, four or five days notice. I want to play him and Dober. I'd really like to play both those guys. Can't really do that with the four that I just suggested. So you kind of have to pick a side on that. But you can definitely get two moderate, you know, two somewhat heavy favorites or one massive favorite and one slight favorite if you play those four. So it's really just getting, you know, if you play one of Dober or Mosvar, it's picking that sixth spot where things get a little sketchy here. But I think, you know, we can find someone in that price range that makes it worthwhile. Are you talking about the? Are you talking about Mosvar, Bivov? You talking about the guy who got what nine takedowns and back-to-back fights? Exactly. Yeah. He, I, so, yes, he's going to get way more takedowns, which we really enjoy for DFS because both those went over 130. But Drew Dober is known for just putting people out right away. And he's fighting Matt Frivolo, who just rushes forward and either dies or kills you. So it's scary not having either of them just because one of them could score 140 points and ruin your day. I think I'm definitely leaning Mosvar's side. Honestly, my big concern with him is he's fighting a guy who can't get back up because you can't get nine takedowns on a guy if you hold him down the whole round. You can get at most three. Problem. I mean, not a huge problem, of course, but, you know, it's not quite as comfortable. And he's 200 more, which limits you slightly more with that other favorite I'm talking about. But we'll see. I mean, it's an interesting card. I like to watch the line movement on some of these. If either of the... uh, title or if either of the five round fights one of the guys ends up being a much more heavy favorite come friday i might just fade whoever that odd man out is which gives you a little more flexibility yeah the one problem with evil off is he was not really a knockout not really a power puncher more wrestling but i mean you do trade the knockout chance for potentially a couple of takedowns around yeah, he has, I believe, zero finishes in the UFC, but this is a real easy fight for a guy of his caliber, right? So, you know, a lot of people aren't finishers until they fight someone well below their level, and then you tap them out pretty easily. But I've said it before, and I say it frequently in my DFS breakdown at Fantasy Labs, that guys who are likely to get a quick submission aren't quite as valuable as the guys likely to get a knockdown or knockout, because a takedown is worth less points than a knockdown. And usually with a knockout, you get 10, 12, 15, however many follow-up shots, which runs up your score a little bit. Where with a submission, it's like takedown, work for position, work for position. You either get it or you don't. So you're not getting those bonus points along the way. And it's much easier to knock someone out in less than a minute than it is to take them down, pass their guard, get to a position you want, get them to expose an armor and neck, and then get a submission. It's hard to do that in less than a minute. So that that's the trade-off between Mosvar and Drew Dober. I think that's going to be a critical decision point if you're trying to play all four or five round fighters. So um, what fight are you looking forward to seeing besides the championship fights, but besides the co-main event, which fight are you looking forward to seeing? Or fighter? I mean, Drew Dober versus Matt Frivola, we've talked about it a little bit here. It's going to be fun. I don't think it's going to be like a super technical fight where like, oh, wow, these guys are so skilled. Both these guys just kind of come out guns blazing. Matt Frivola gets hurt in every single fight, and then sometimes he pops back up and knocks you out, and sometimes he doesn't. Drew Dober, amazingly, I shocked myself looking at this, never been knocked out in the UFC, despite like coming very close on a couple of occasions. So that one's going to be fun from just like a pure violence slugfest standpoint. 
But personally, as the grappling nerd that I am, I'm looking forward to seeing the return of Crime and Gracie. It's been a few years, you know, he stayed active with grappling and all that kind of stuff. Jiu-Jitsu has kind of lost its luster in high-level MMA recently just because we've seen, you know, the Dagestani wrestlers figure out how to beat it. And if you can't get a takedown, your jiu-jitsu is not really worth all that much. But Crom's kind of fun. Charles Jordan might be a willing partner in terms of making this into a bit more of a grappling match. Not a ton of interest from a DFS or even betting standpoint, but just from a pure fan, I like jiu-jitsu. I like guys who can grapple. Anytime you see that Gracie name in there, you get a little excited. Here's an interesting question I have. We've... Talked about title fights and some intriguing title fights. Obviously, uh, you you may have heard the, uh, I think the title fight, the uh, trilogy that was supposed to take place between Pena and Amanda Nunes been postponed mm-hmm. because Pena's been scrapped. So, what hypothetical title fight would you like to see next? Oh man, there's so, there's like a dozen of them between men's lightweight and welterweight that I want to see. And it's making me sad because it doesn't seem like we're going to get either of them, but Darius versus Islam would be awesome. Matosh Gamrat versus Islam would be awesome. Even Armin Sarukian who lost to Gamrat, but he really beat Gamrat. If you actually watch that fight, those are just three guys who are super high level grapplers in a way that would be really fun to see if Islam can still bring them down. Cause I think all those guys are better strikers than Makachev. So it's kind of like, wow, can he take down this super athletic high-level grappler? Those three are all on my list. And then at welterweight, Burns deserves a title fight. Muhammad deserves a title fight. Shavkat Rachmonov, I think, would beat Leon Edwards right now. Hamzat at welterweight or Hamzat at middleweight now that it's back to Adesanya. That would be a really intriguing fight. So a lot of these guys who, in Hamzat's case, we don't know what weight class he is. But the other ones just, they keep getting blocked by the bigger names in front of them. You know, Justin Poirier, Justin Gaethje, Colby Covington, who aren't quite as deserving in my book. So I'm just really waiting till we can pass the torch to this next generation in both of these divisions because there's just so much talent coming up. I'm not confident that the best fighter in either of those divisions currently has the belt, and I'd really like to see if I'm right. Uh, well, you mentioned... Oh, wait, can, I, can I do one more? I'm sorry. You asked for one. I've given you like seven already, but I've got okay, one more. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, Aaron Blanchfield, she might be the best female grappler in the sport right now. You know, looked really good against, um, was that Andrade she fought most recently? Looked really good against Andrade. Has beat everyone who puts in front of her. That division's kind of wide open now with uh, Shevchenko losing. Just a huge fan, and Blanchfield's like 23 or something. So we haven't really had too many dominant long-reigning champions or the ones that we've had have all lost recently. And I think Blanchfield is in a very good spot to be the next one who holds it down for a long time. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned all these well, lightweight, welterweight contenders. I'm going all the way to the top. I'm going to the top of the food chain. How about Sergey Pavlovich and John Jones? I know Pavlovich might need one or two more fights, but the way he, but the way he took care of Curtis Blades was impressive. And I'm telling, and you imagine you get the best wrestler in the UFC against maybe the bet one of the best UFC see knockout orders. Ooh, I want I want to see that one. 
Um, who are you referring to as the best wrestler in the UFC in this hypothetical? Well, John Jones. Stop it. No, not even close. Um, no, that that would be very exciting, but uh John Jones is never gonna take that fight. Right? Like he doesn't if he beats Stipe, he's holding out for Stipe, he's gonna get his money, then he'll disappear until there's a better matchup for him, or maybe just retire. So no, yeah, great. I, I'd love to see that too. It'd be fun. Pavlovich actually has a Greco-Roman background, which a lot of people don't realize. I think he'd do really well against Jones because Jones doesn't shoot for takedowns. He clinches and trips and all the stuff that those Greco guys are good at. That's cool and all. It's not going to happen. So that was like if I would have said, you know, Hoist Gracie at his prime versus GSP or something. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome, but we're not going to see it. So why why even mention it, Dylan? Why get the people excited? I said hypothetical. I I know Pav, I know John Bone Jones is not fighting Pavlovich because he because if you're John Bone Jones, why would you fight Pavlovich? It's some guy not that many people have heard of. You're not going to make that much money, and he might just you know destroy your perfect record in a very violent, painful way. I wouldn't do it if I'm done. So, so wait a minute. So now you're thinking he's flooring money Mayweather all of a sudden? I mean. Do you think he came back for the love of the game? No. So, Stipe is a bigger name and an easier fight. Like, I think it's probably Chael Sonnen, but I attribute every silly quote to Chael Sonnen, so grain of salt here. But he said the name of the game is getting the easiest fight for the most money. Like, that's, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do. And that is very much, you know, 45-year-old fireman Stipe Miocic and not 31-year-old Ivan Drago-looking Sergei Pavlovich at the peak of his power. So... Yeah, that's great. You said hypothetical. I thought you meant like, you know, that we might see in a year. I didn't know you meant like in a magical fantasy land. I mean, if we saw if we saw if we saw it, I mean, you imagine what that would I mean, what that would be. I mean, we saw Jones and uh, Alexander Gustafson a few years ago and Gustafson gave Jones problems. Yeah, but Gustafson isn't some massive Russian 10 years younger than him. You know, like they were peers. I think Jones is a little bit younger. Like Feel free to save the clips of me making fun of you right now. So when they announce that fight, you can mock me mercilessly. But um, yeah, I, I just don't think there's much of a chance that we ever see anything like that. I think if he beats Miocic, the only way Jones would fight again is if they lure Nagano back to the division. That's my opinion. But so then he fight Nagano. So then he fight Nagano, basically a boxer. Well, so yeah, because he'd fight Nagano because he has a much better, he has a much larger grappling advantage against Nagano. But honestly, I don't even think that's why. I think it's just because Nagano is a huge name and that would do a ton of sales, which is really, I think, the motivation for John Jones. It might sound like I'm being critical of Jones here when I say that stuff. I am not at all. Like, this is a very tough business. Make as much money as you can while you can because they don't have pension plans, they don't have health care when you retire. Like, this is not at all me throwing shade at John Jones. I would do the exact same thing he's doing. I'd wait until the big money fights that I think I can win easily pop up. I'd take those, and then I'd go about my merry way. So, no shade at all. But come on. Come on. He's not going to do that. That's why it's hypo- That's why it's a hypothetical title fight. and not. I know, but there's degrees of hypothetical. There's hypothetical, like... You know, might really happen. You know, the hypothetical fight I'd really like to see? Me versus any of these guys with pay-per-view points in my contract. That'd be my favorite. I'll go let any guys beat me up for, you know, half a million dollars or whatever I'd make on the back end. That's my favorite hypothetical if we're being real silly. 
<laughs> Could I take Adesanya down once and maybe make it look interesting? I don't know. We're about the same size. I'm a strong dude. Sure. Yeah. That's I'm changing my answer. My my answer is me versus Adesanya, assuming I get pay-per-view points on the back end of the deal and make like a million dollars just to get my head kicked off. <laughs> you really would get paid a million bucks in an honestly Israel and Asanya could could take your head into next Tuesday, right? You know how many times I've been knocked out for like six hundred bucks in a high school gym somewhere? Yeah. No, I'll take it. And I'm a pretty good grappler. I got you know, I think I'm a little bit stronger than him. I'd I'd have an outside shot of getting him down once before I get destroyed. I'm not saying I'd have any shot at winning, but could I take him down for a second before he pops up? Get you that five DraftKings points. I'm not a, I'm not attempting a strike, so don't don't worry about that. But you will attempt that home ball, right? I'm something heel hook. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe just squeeze squeeze his face as hard as I can and see if he taps. I don't know. <laughs> Okay. Uh, thanks. Bob. I know. I really. I know. I really derailed this one, but yeah. Uh, surprisingly fun card. Very fun DFS card with a real interesting decision point between the four five round fighters and the two heavy favorites we're interested in. Can't play them all, so I'm. I'm actually really looking forward to this card because I really like these like game theory spots where we have to decide between things like that. All right, Billy. Thanks for hopping on, and uh, hopefully uh, UFC 288 is profitable for both of us. Yeah, and if any you know middleweights drop off the card, Dana, call me. I can still get down on 185. 